everyone, and welcome to episode 235 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we got the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. What's up this week, Richard? Hey, Seth. Recovering from jet lag, even though I didn't fly anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta say, I was impressed. Uh, it was Pro Tour weekend. It was in Barcelona, which is some awkward time zones. I did the, like, try to get up around 5 a.m. thing and missed the first couple rounds. I, I think you did the stay up literally all night because it started at midnight your time, didn't you, Richard? Stay up literally all night. I'm eating, like, dinner at, like, 3 a.m. <laughs> Another lunch at 10 a.m. You know, Pro Tours yep. are really long when you want to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah yeah they 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 do get long after a while so <laughs> well the next one i think is in richmond so that, that should be an easy one we got through the hard european pro tour uh, but before we talk about pro tours and mythic championships uh we also have another co-host in crim what's that going on today crim uh not much just uh getting pretty excited to talk about the events that have happened over the weekend over at the mythic championship <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's our main topic for today. There's really outside of Mythic Championship and Mythic Championship related stuff like Modern Horizons and what's going on in Modern. Uh, there's not a whole lot going on yet. Next week, we'll have like the start of Commander spoilers. So our show today going to be mostly focused on Mythic Championship stuff. And then, of course, getting to your fish mail as well. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess we jump right into it and start talking about Mythic Championship 4. So, uh, first off, the top eight, which I think is a horrible metric, but it is a meaningful <laughs> metric because those are the people that get to play on Sunday. They have a chance of winning the tournament. Uh, it was actually really diverse. Richard, what decks did we actually have make it to the top eight at this tournament? All right. So we, uh, we have our winner, uh, the much, I don't know if it was cheered for for fighting against Hogak or much hated because, you know, he always had turn 3 Tron, which is what you kind of need to win a Mythic Championship. But uh, Thrall Severin won the tournament with Mono Green Tron, basically played no new cards. Like, I think Autumn's Veil and a Blast Zone are like the only cards created in the last two years that are in that deck. Uh, we had Hardened Scales. Uh, we had Eldrazi Tron. Two Jund lists that looked pretty different from each other. A Hogak list, Mono Red Phoenix, and Urza Thopter Sword. So, pretty diverse. Uh, Jund is the only fairish deck here. I mean, we don't have any other, like, humans not here. Control decks. You know, Wafo tried to, try to make Prim <laughs> proud, but couldn't, couldn't manage it in the last couple rounds. But yeah, it was a pretty diverse top eight. Given the narrative we had all weekend, which was Hogak, Hogak, Hogak. Yeah, so it was, it was an interesting tournament. The top eight was really diverse. We saw a huge range of decks, some really surprising decks, like... Uh, Hardened Scales, to me, was a deck that I thought was basically dead in the water in in the modern format because of primarily, like, Karn seeing so much play as, like, a main deck Stody Silence and the other, like, even faster Unfair deck. So I was pretty impressed and surprised to see Hardened Scales make the top eight. Uh, and, yeah, we saw, like, a lot of different decks. What did you think about the top eight, Krim? You know, I... I... <laughs> I don't know if you consider Hardened Scales a fair deck, but it feels like a fair deck, I guess, when you've played Modern. And I don't know, that Jund, I, I don't know, I, I felt like the top eight was quite diverse and, you know, obviously not very representative of the most popular deck of the entire field, but I do think that 
you know, hey, maybe Faradex, uh, we're good again. <laughs> so, so I saw the top eight and I saw two junglists and I knew, that's when I knew Tron would win. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, look at all these buys for Tron, right? Like both Tron, Eldrazi Tron and Mono Green Tron. And the irony of the whole thing was, so Hogak, crazy percentage of players played it, crazy percentage players winning with it, but all weekend we just saw Jund. Right, because every other deck, their match ended in like two minutes. Right, like turn two, blah, thirty power on the board. Hard and scales, turn three, hit you for eighteen. All those matches finished immediately, and then we went to the backup feature, which was Jund sitting there like red and six, hit you for one. Right, activate raging ravine, and they're they're just grinding it out. So for all of day two, I swear, I think we just got like a solid five hours of Jund matches, and then the top eight, obviously the Jund matches. Uh, you know, they went long and they were there. So I think camera time wise, Jun just crushed it this weekend. Even though it was just like, you know, it was one of the better decks, but it wasn't as crazy as some of the other decks, but they just finished so fast. You never saw any of them. That is a really good point. And I, I think that's true. Jun was on camera a ton. And I think you're right. It just takes longer to win with Jun when so <laughs> many of the other decks are so like mono red Phoenix. It kills you on turn three. Urzathopter sword can go infinite like on turn three. Tron has Karn on turn three. And Jun was just like playing their Ren and Sixes, playing their Blood Braid Elves, <laughs> cascading into some removal spells. And it kind of worked. We yeah. need a free Twinner Splin. Like, every deck wins on turn three. Like, the disc- you know Harden Scales? He was like, play a 1-1. One, one. Turn two, play a 1-1. One, one. Didn't even have hard, you know, it's like slow start. Then turn three, hit him for 15, one off lethal. Right? And you're like, huh? Is that really any better than, like, turn three Karn? <laughs> right? Like, these decks are disgusting yes. in modern it's, nowadays. It's much better than a turn three Karn, Richard. <laughs> it, is, it is. I mean, turn three Karn doesn't kill you. It just exiles a permanent, right? I'd rather deal 15 Which, to the face. No, no, no. <laughs> See, that, that would that would very much so kill me when they play turn three Karn. <laughs> <laughs> but modern is so unfair right now. It is actually very weird like all the decks are super super fast and for some reason jund is like hanging in here and the reason is jund is basically the new hate bears uh, if you pack four ley lines you have collector oofs uh you have thought seasons you can just try to strip your opponent of anything useful and then kill him with a tarmogoyf but uh yeah it's modern is just so fast right now yeah, it is super fast, and I'm really, I'm kind of wondering why that is. Like, is it Modern Horizons? Is it Hogak that everyone figures the only way they can keep up with, like, 20-some percent of the meta being Hogak is to just try to, like, out-goldfish them? Is it a combination of, like, London Mulligans and the open deck lists at Mythic Championship? So, it, maybe it's just, like, all of those uh, reasons kind of mixed together that is making things really fast. But really, if you look over the top eight decks and discount Jund, I think every deck can either literally or effectively kill you on turn three without even having, like, some absurd nut draw. Like, that's, like, what their deck does kind of commonly is kill you by, like, turn three. So, yeah, I don't know if Modern has ever been this fast before. Oh, no, yeah. no counter spells. We, we need... <laughs> we, we need... We need the Splitter Twin to police the format. I mean... <laughs> maybe. 
I don't know. Okay, so Splinter Twin, I feel like, is is also becoming just a fair deck, right? I mean, it, it's always been a fair deck. It, it is a fair deck. It used to keep up. Maybe it doesn't yeah. keep up anymore. But right now, like, who cares about your five mana to fairies and cryptic commands and celestial colonnades, right? Like, you're dead by turn three. If you whiffed yeah. on any interaction turn one, two, three, you're, like, super dead as a control deck. So, like, it's really hard to control anything. So you might as well just go fast. And everyone's like, oh... Look at this Tron guy. We'll just go faster, right? Turn two, Ho got kill, right? So everyone's just <laughs> yeah. trying to go over the top and faster than everyone else. And uh, turn, turn three, Karn is just all right. <laughs> I mean, and Dredge Dredge beats out Tron, right? And Hogak beats yeah. out Tron, right? And then Tron beats Jund, and then Jund theoretically beats Hogak, right? But it doesn't, right? But you know, that's. That's the rock, paper, scissors we have, right? Yeah, I think that it's it's a hard world for the fair decks because even just looking at the top eight, you got Tron, which you basically want to interact with lands. You got Hardened Scales, where you really need to interact with artifacts. Then you have, like, Eldrazi Tron, which is mostly playing big Eldrazi. Then you have, like, Phoenix, where you're going to interact with a graveyard. There's so many different things that you have to be able to fight that it's really hard to imagine a deck like Blue White Control being able to just like pack the right answers to fight such a wide variety of really fast, really powerful decks. What what do you think, Krim? Where is your favorite deck in the format right now coming out of this weekend? You know, I I think see that there's a reason why I added a third color, and it's so that you could have more. <laughs> like I I like that uh, you know Guillaume Waffetapa decided to play Esper, uh, but I. I like obviously, but I, I like Kaya's Guile. But I also feel like whatever the amount of uh, graveyard removal you have, I think you need. <laughs> if you think you're fine, you're probably not. So you should probably add more. Um, and I see that Game Wafatapa doesn't have any ley lines, and I would play that along with like a million celestial purges and stuff like that. Because other than that, I mean, you can kind of just play the the counterspell game with with Karn and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I, I think, straight I up think... play main deck ley lines in Jund. And yeah. my deck would be so much better with open deckless. So I figure between Seasoned Pyromancer and Liliana the Veil, I can get rid of my dead ley lines. So the, the real question is, you know, on the play, turn one, game one, do I throw down the ley line as a pregame action? And if I had open deckless, that's super easy, right? Yeah. But if I don't, I put it down and they're playing burn, I'm like, oh boy, right? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, if they're, if they're playing Burn, I have Leyline in hand, I can pitch to Pyromancer, I can pitch to Lily. Like, I have, you know, it's like pitches the Force of Will. It's fine, right? You can deal with it. It's worth it for the free wins over Hogak. Yeah, and yes. <laughs> also, like, like yeah, you hit on Ho- uh, Hogak, but you also hit on Is It Phoenix, which was the number two most played deck at the tournament, and that's not even including, like, Mono Red, which Mono Red isn't as graveyard-reliant, uh, I guess, as the Is It build, so you do kind of hit on multiple decks. It's even you hit on everything. really good against like, Hardened Scales. Yeah, Hardened like, Scales, it, it's not as Control obvious, Decks. But it, yeah, so I can see Other Jun the- Decks. <laughs> Death Shadow deck. Like you hit on everyone uses the graveyard nowadays, so it's it's like pretty good. How much does it hurt your own goifs though? Can you be the I'm the main deck Leyline Jun deck and I'm the four Tarmogoyf Jun deck? Like can it's that actually be the same fine now deck? because with Renin Six and Lily, you, you can usually stock your own planeswalker, and then since I'm running Leylines, extra Leylines grow the goifs, so it's actually not you know, horrendous. <laughs> like, Goyfs are actually, they've, they've been that. healthier. and big. They're almost Hogak, okay? I can get, like, a two-mana 6-7 seven or 7-8. Seven, I can almost get there. 
<laughs> because people are playing so many artifacts, uh, planeswalkers and stuff nowadays. Four or five is not standard anymore. Like five, six is pretty standard. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the idea of just maining it too. Cause right. And yeah, like you do shut off hardened scales if that picks back up again. Uh, but like, yeah, there, there's just a lot of things like you'd mentioned that interact with the graveyard. And I, I think, I think, yeah. I think control decks can still adjust. Fair decks can still adjust a little bit more to make it so that you're not completely blown out by the meta, but it will suck if you do play Leyline and they're like on humans. <laughs> well, humans, humans was pretty just, bad this weekend, so you might, you might not have to worry about them anymore. <laughs> well, I hope so, because it's just like humans is like a, a terrible feeling because they don't interact with the graveyard at all. <laughs> I guess Eldrazi Tron's kind of like that too. Like yeah. Eldrazi Tron, they don't really do anything with the graveyard. Yard. So Actually, there are a couple of decks that don't, but I think I think Eldrazi Tron, if you or just anything that has an artifact and has Karn the Great Creator, Leyline of the Void might help them find what they're looking for because <laughs> if you kill it or you remove it in some way and it and it gives, goes to exile, Karn can pull it from exile. Oh, oh, that that's kind of a combo with their card. That's hilarious. Yeah, I never thought about that. I, I would so, so get caught by that one day. <laughs> Thanks for the assist, friend. Uh. So I have to admit, Tron won the tournament. Uh, Torov Severin and Torov, he's pretty awesome. He does. Uh, he's one of the members of Arena Boys, and he just looks so happy to be playing Magic. And the celebration with Riley Knight after winning, and the rest of his friends was awesome. So uh, it was really cool and. I think I was actually rooting for Tron, which I can't believe I'm saying those words, but I think Tron was like the good guy of the top eight somehow in this world of, of Hogak and all these unfair decks. It actually kind of felt fair compared to the rest of the metagame as unreasonable as that <laughs> Are sounds. Are you kidding me? So. <laughs> Uh, come on, Jund? How are you not picking Jund? <laughs> you had two Jund decks in the top eight, and you were rooting for Tron. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I think I was. Uh, his, uh, his hardest scales opponent has um, two lethal threats. One is a land, one is a creature, right? So Oblivion Stone doesn't deal with this, Karn doesn't deal with this, and then what does he peel off the top? Ulamog, don't worry about it. No sweat. Exile the land and the creature, and I love get pretty lucky. his reaction. Right? He like you know some people they're like never didn't have it. I I trust in my deck. He's just like laughing maniac <laughs> maniacally. <laughs> like yeah, I just top decked this. It was like the perfect top deck. You know he he knows that you need to be lucky to win, right? Like, uh, but. It's, it was hilarious. It was a good time watching him in the feature match area. I mean, it remember, remember, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It does take skill to put yourself in a situation to benefit from a top deck. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm actually curious with the London Mulligan, like, what the percentage of turn three Tron is, because I swear it happened, like, every game. <laughs> I don't know if I was just a salty it's Jun player, but I'm like... He no, always had it, high. and then when you thought sees that map, he would just draw it naturally or get another <laughs> map anyway. Like <laughs> Th those no, are the I feel bads. When you thought sees or Inquisition something in the card, they just draw it again off the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Tron heading into London Mulligans, it was one of the decks that people thought would benefit the most for that exact reason. It just makes uh, even like 10% more likely to have turn three Karn or turn three Tron for Karn or whatever. That's a big shift because those draws are so unbeatable so I think that's one of the things that we saw is the impact of uh, the London Mulligan rule keeping this 
really outdated in a lot of ways. Trondek uh, at the top of the field. Like like you said, there wasn't many new cards in that Trondek at all. It was a 2016-era Trondek, and it's a Trondek that's really fallen out of favor. Like, Eldrazi Tron is kind of the Trondek of choice these days, so it was pretty interesting to see old-school Tron actually do well. Uh, I did notice, too, before we... We're going to move out of the top eight in a minute, because there's much to talk about outside of the top eight, but did you notice in the Urzathopter Sword, Grim, uh, they're playing some Teferis? Like, yeah. what do you think about, about that bill? I have not really seen Teferi in the Thopter Sword list with Urza before, so kind of a cool innovation, I guess? Very cool innova- innovation, and that's also kind of why, where while you were rooting for Tron, I was rooting for Urza Thopter Sword. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, that one has Teferi. I'll go with that. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> I, I I think that's actually, it, it shuts down, like, any kind of, like, potential, inter- like, if they don't answer that, then that means, you know, like, they're not interacting with you on your turn, so you can just freely do whatever it is you need to do. I mean, not that you really have a ton of, like, it, like, sort, you don't even have a sorcery spell you really need outside of, like, the Thought Seizes and Dead of Winter out of the sideboard. So, yeah. It, the plus is just, ir- like, kind of just irrelevant. It's more so just for the passive to, uh, but, like, the minus is also huge. Being able to return something, like, maybe an Urza get a token or a Mox Opal or something like that. I, I think that's, that's huge. And, and uh, once again, the passive shutting down interaction. Yeah, not having to worry about, like, a surgical extraction when you go to combo off or something seems pretty helpful in a deck like that because there are ways you can get blown out at instant speed and it is a nice value being able to pick up your own stuff uh goblin engineer not a bad one to like tutor again urza you make another karn struck so it does seem like a a cool way to play the deck and yeah i was kind of rooting for urza too i really think looking at this tournament if it wasn't for hogak i think Urza would be the deck everyone was talking about at this tournament. If so, let's kind of transition. Top eight, top eight was very diverse, but if you go beyond the top eight, that's where the metrics become a little bit more worrying as far as like the health of modern. So if you, they actually published win rates uh, for all the decks of just the constructed rounds, and by that metric, Urza Thopter Sword was really good. It won fifty five point three percent of the time, which made it like the second best deck or I guess technically third best deck. The problem is Hogak, which was not only the highest win rate deck, but was also the most played deck, which is really crazy. Normally when a deck has a lot of players, that means it's not just all the best players playing the deck and the win rate kind of suffers as a result. But Hogak had the most players by far and it had the highest win rate, except for Hogak Dredge, which actually had even a higher win rate than normal Hogak. So Moving beyond the top eight, what do you think about the modern meta? Like, where are we at with this Hogak deck? It was 21.4% of the meta. By the end of the tournament, it was 55%. Uh, if you toss in the Hogak dredge deck of the decks, it got at least eight wins and constructed. Uh, and it has the highest win rate out of any archetype of the tournament. So where are we at as far as how big of a problem is this Hogak deck? It was just targeted with a banning. Are we already back to more Hogak targeted bandings at the next possible VNR announcement? <laughs> I mean, like what I think will happen or versus what I want will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Give me both. What do you think's going to happen and what do you want to happen? I I don't know. I, I don't think anything's going to change. <laughs> I I want something to change. Uh, I, I want 
Uh, but I mean, like, is it just you ban uh, Hogak or or what? Like, th- what is the fix here? Do you ban that? Because I think obviously an eight eight is a problem, um, especially when it's super cheap and free. But I I I would like that banned. That's what I would like to have happen. What I think will happen is I don't I, nothing, or at least <laughs> or there's an off chance where they ban something random, like well, uh, like maybe <laughs> blood gas is banned. Sticker supplier <laughs> banned yeah, from Mondo's. Too good. <laughs> Benjavine oh. on the chopping block. Sorry. <laughs> what do you think, Richard? Are are we gonna get more bands? I think the next scheduled announcement is the end of the month, right after GP Vegas, actually. So I think the Hogak deck is gonna go because when you have Leyline of the Void being the most played card in modern, uh, people main decking the card, and despite that, this deck is still winning fifty six percent of the time. I think that is a big problem. So I, I don't think this deck will go through unscathed. So the real question is, ban at the next BNR or emergency banning? Right? We have GP Vegas coming up, right? So if you wanna, you know, get it in time for that, you would do an emergency ban, otherwise it'd be after that. And the the other question is, is it Hogak? Is it Faithless Looting? Maybe they go for the Venge Vine, right? Or <laughs> something like that. They could try to get all graveyard decks with the Faithless looting at once. Or they could, like, really, I don't know, like, <laughs> Sater Wayfinder. They could like, really <laughs> try to keep it a viable deck by hitting, like, a Fringer piece. But they're just, they're going to follow Canister and just see what, what he's just yeah, playing but, and just ban that. But I think it'll be Hogak. I don't think they're ready They're ready to do Faithless Looting, so I think it'll just be Hogak. Yeah, I mean, th- I, don't th- I don't see them banning Faithless Looting as much as I want that card gone. Uh, because, I mean, like, there, there are two graveyard decks right now. All the graveyard decks use that, and I guess that would cripple too many of the graveyard decks. I think that Faithless Looting is not going to happen. I, I'm starting to buy into the idea that Wizards views looting kind of like Brainstorm and Legacy, where everyone knows that it probably should be banned on power level, but it just holds together so many decks in the format that it's too <laughs> big of an upheaval, essentially. doesn't hold together modern. <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, if it does, then Hogak would be the poster child of the format. We don't want that. I mean, but it's like Hogak, it's like Phoenix decks, it's fair decks like the Mardu Pyromancer decks. It was Shadow, for, it was yeah. actually like very heavily played. Forty one percent of decks at the Mythic Championship were playing Faithless Looting, and granted, like half of those are Hogak decks, which isn't necessarily what we want to be happening. But I don't know. I think that the looting banning would probably be a good thing, but I don't think it's likely to happen. I think Wizards has to just ban Hogak. I I don't really see any other option. Like, based on all the data and information, it's hard for me to imagine that they can let this happening. It also looked really oppressive on camera, just the turn two kills. There were so many non-games where you just have one person, like, play their land drop and play their Monastery Swift Spear on turn one, and their opponent has 20 trampling power and hasty veg vibes. It's, it just doesn't look good or look fun for the game. So <laughs> I definitely think it'll be bad. There's some precedent for emergency bannings. Like, we did have Felidaire Guardian, where everyone thought it was getting banned, and they no-banned <laughs> on the VNR, and then, like, three days later, like, ah, addendum. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> we decided that Felidaire Guardian is banned. So maybe they could do that again like haha just kidding we were actually banning Hogak so I don't know I'm a little worried about what 
what GP Vegas and the other modern tournaments for the next month will look like if they don't ban it. <sighs> I hope they just ban it. I don't think they'll emergency ban it, but I hope they do. That would be my preferred outcome. Yeah, I, but I, I mean, do think it's like a hundred percent to get banned at the next BNR. I, I I don't think it'll get banned before then, though. If it does get banned, it gets banned at the end of the month after the events have, I guess, finished. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you think this is going to do for modern tournaments? Like, are people going to go and play modern at GP Vegas? Does this play into people's desire to play the format for the next month, or? Or am I reading too much into it and people just don't care and they just want to have a fun weekend and play modern and if they get crushed by Hogak, so be it. I mean, it's small sample size, but I mean, th- there are people that just play modern to play modern, right? Uh, um, and like, I guess I'm, I, I would be considered one of those people who just like, eh, the format's broken, like Eldrazi winner, great. I'll still play a slow and dirtily <laughs> deck, right? Like, <laughs> so I mean, people will still go out and play it. Uh, I, I think they, they'll just have to adapt and they, they probably will. Like, you'll probably see main deck ley lines. Like, that'll be more common than not. Yeah. I, I don't think it'll affect, like, modern is not an interactive format. So the only people that it affects are like Jun players and control players. And those, those players just love getting beat on all the time anyway. So they're, they're willing <laughs> to take the challenge. Everyone else, like it doesn't matter that there's a hog act there. They're going, they're they're going over the top, right? They're all they're all kind of goldfishing against the opponent. What hog act means is you need to win on turn three or turn four, otherwise you're dead. Previously, it might have been turn four or turn five, but it's not like the is it Phoenix player is like trying to block and kill a hog act or something, right? They're just trying to fly over the top and burn the face down. So I feel like it doesn't really matter if Hogak is there. It's like if I'm playing against Hogak or uh, Urza Thopter Sword or something, uh, as a burn deck, it doesn't matter. I'm just throwing burn to their face and trying to kill them. So I feel like that's the point that modern's at. We don't interact that much. So we just goldfish, and now you need to win on turn three because Hogak will kill you on turn three otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. Are we to the point where that's a feature instead of a bug? <laughs> like, I know. Is it like- really a feature though? Uh, it made for some pretty boring matches of magic this weekend. Uh, I prefer healthy interactive magic, but I I kind of wonder like if this is just what modern is and it's not fixable. Like one of the counter arguments I've heard for banning Hogak from some of the pro players on Twitter was like, sure you can ban Hogak, but then is it Phoenix is gonna be busted and everyone's gonna be dying on turn two or turn three to is it phoenix and then if you burn that then uh, or ban that then tron is gonna be too good and then that's gonna be carning it like is there any way to make it so modern isn't this like goldfishy turn three format or is that just what modern Wait, is i figured it out seth so in limited you interact in combat in standard you interact on the battlefield in legacy and vintage you interact on the stack and in modern you just don't interact it's There's like, nothing to do, like, right? It's like Leyline. You, you, you <laughs> interact it, with right? the graveyard. That's my interaction. It's, it's like, <laughs> that is the format. You interact with the graveyard, yeah. But I don't even do anything. Like, surgical is not enough, right? Like, I, I, I can't, like, scavenging ooze you out. Like, that's not even a viable option. It's really Leyline or rest in peace. Yep. I think that the prevalence of Leyline is the biggest argument for banning Hogak or something from the Hogak deck. So... Uh, 
normally, when there's a breakout deck at a Pro Tour, let's let's talk about Color of the Eldrazi, Eldrazi Winter. Eldrazi at that Pro Tour, it kind of came out of nowhere. I was looking back on it. It was like 8% of the meta, and I remember watching that Pro Tour, and it was really awesome. It was so sweet to see this deck that most of the people had not figured out come out of nowhere and just put up one of the most dominant performances in history. And in that case, I think you have a legitimate reason to be like, okay, this deck looks really good, but let's see if the metagame can adjust. I don't think you could use that argument with Hogak when people are already playing main deck ley lines and it's a number one like card played in the tournament how much more can the metagame adjust than ley line being the most played card and showing up in main decks like what more adjustment is there to trying to beat hogak than that so i think for me that's the the nail in the coffin that the normal argument of like oh people like weren't prepared give the metagame time i don't think that applies at all like everyone saw hogak coming and hogak still just stopped people more <laughs> yeah. More, more. more. I, that, the, the big problem is this: Leyline is your only answer, right? I guess Tormod's crypt, right? Uh, but like, rest in peace on on the draw is too slow. Like, isn't that ridiculous? Like a two mana like, spell on the draw is too slow because on turn two, I think uh, they were saying like, was it fifty or seventy percent of the time? If you mulligan aggressively, you can get a Hogak turn two. Uh, that's what the pro players were saying. So, a rest in peace on the draw is too slow. That's a bit ridiculous. So, I think it's because it's leyline or bust makes it really weird, and something will will have to go. Yeah, and that's man, and that's one of the issues I think with the London Mulligan rule is it creates this like play pattern where you have one player. Uh, people on Twitter were saying basically you compare your opening hands and. <laughs> And whoever's opening it is better wins the game. And that's what modern is right now. And I think there's some truth to that. Because you can be like 99% or something to mulligan into your ley line if you mulligan all the way to one. Versus Hogak is like 70% to mulligan into their Hogak hand. So uh, what do you think? Like, is that a is that a healthy play pattern? Like, is that one of the unintended consequences of this London mulligan rule? Is this uh, reveal your opening hand and someone wins play pattern? Hmm. I don't. I, that, that's that's. I mean, but isn't that, that magic? I, yeah. I feel like I don't know. What I'm just making these percentages up, right? But like, maybe like sixty percent of the games are decided by opening hands or something, and then like twenty percent of the games, like anyone can just plow through and win. Like the the lines of play are like pretty obvious, and then the remaining twenty is like where if you're super skilled, like something different will happen, and you'll you'll eke out those extra percentages. Because at the end of the day, like, pros only win, like, 55-60% of the time. Like, it's only 10% over the normal guy, right? So, is it, isn't that kind of magic? Does standard feel that way, though? I mean, I guess some standard... Like, sometimes your opponent has, like, two Risen Reefs, and you're just like, oh, okay. Let me, okay, <laughs> okay, let me, let me sure. take it a step like, yes. back further, Seth. Like, don't even reveal hands. I just tell you my deck, okay? And I t- you tell me your deck, and we can probably scoop right there. <laughs> like, what do you think about that one? <laughs> That would make tournaments go a lot faster. You're like, I'm bringing Judd. He's like, I'm bringing Tron. I'm like, good oh, match, okay. sir. Oh, do not slide the slip and go Hand, on. Handshake, sign the slip. <laughs> go get some food. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, maybe maybe that's true. I can I could see that. Uh, so let me ask you why we're still on the Pro Tour topic and on the topic of ley lines. One of the reasons that ley lines were so heavily played in the main decks at the Pro Tour was because of open deck lists. Do you guys think that 
if you're playing modern on Magic Online or at an upcoming GP or SCG event, whatever, your local game store, should you be playing Ley Lines in your main deck even without open deck lists? Or is that just a product of pros at the Mythic Championship being able to know, like, okay, I'm up against Hogak, I keep Ley Line. And I'm not up against Hogak, I mulligan, put Ley Line to the bottom. You know, LGSs don't necessarily reflect the Pro Tour meta or, like, the, the scene of the competitive scene of modern, because I feel like with FMs and stuff like that, it's more like, oh, well, what do I have? Because I feel like at my LGS, it's, oh, what do I have? Okay, cool. I'll play that. I think that's that's a really good point, because modern decks are so expensive. Even if someone's like, oh, Hogak's the best deck, I really want to play Hogak, some percentage of people just don't have $1,000 sitting around <laughs> to buy a bunch of cardboard. Yeah. So. L- let me tell you a story, Seth. So I'm, I was deba- I'm debating whether I should enter uh, the Grand Prix at Vegas, right? It's modern. I already have Jund. Jund is good. I'm like, oh, maybe I can play Jund. So I'm like, I need to upgrade my deck to be 2019 Jund. Do you know how expensive it is just to buy like eight new cards? <laughs> like, it is like season Firemancer, Red and Six. I'm like, I'm like, it's like more than like our flights and hotels to just like buy eight cards for Jund. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, this is a, this is some hobby we have here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> It is kind of hilarious because Jun, like, was kind of the poster child for how expensive Modern was for a long time. And then, like, Tarmogoyf got cheaper and Dark Confident got cheaper and Bloodbraid Elf was pretty cheap. And they reprinted, like, Thought Seizes and Inquisitions. It was like, okay, this isn't that bad anymore. But then Modern Horizons came around and now you need, like, $400 worth of Renin Sixes. And you need, like, so many expensive cards. So it's right back to where it was, like, at its peak. I'm looking at a Jun deck right now and it's pushing $2,000 again. $1,919 for a Jundag. <laughs> Easy, <laughs> we, we, we need right? a security detail at Grand Prix Vegas. Like, someone's just gonna walk up on the street and they're like, turn one Thossies? You're like, yeah, they just beat you and take your deck. And they're like, Easy $2,000, right? Like, the deck is so expensive. Like, modern is so expensive. So I think what Krim said is probably true, right? Like, I can't just randomly switch to Jund if I don't have Jund cards at my FNM, so... Just because Jund is good, it doesn't mean anything. So people will play their yeah. pet decks, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like that that's why you'll see things like, I don't know, uh maybe maybe some kind of electro dominance deck or something. Just something that that's whatever they own. Because they if they have to go and grab four Lily of the Veils and Ren and Sixes or something like that, that's casually just like almost eight hundred bucks, almost a grand. Can you imagine what would have happened if they didn't reprint Leyline in M twenty? Oh, or Lily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a little bit ridiculous. But uh, okay, so at your local game store, are you trying to get Leyline into your main deck? Like, uh, uh, granting what we just talked about, that the meta games are different. Not everyone is just going to run out and buy Hogak because it's the best deck in the format. Like, should you still be like, are you going to do that when you go to your F and M on Friday in your Jun deck or in your Esper control deck or whatever? Uh no. I'm gonna leave. I, no. I, I, I thought about it, but then no, there's just no way. <laughs> Should you be playing Hogak at FNM or will people give you dirty stares? <laughs> that, that is the real question. <laughs> I, I, I don't think they're gonna like be excited after they lose. <laughs> I'll tell you that. 
<laughs> Especially if you turn to them. Like whatever you do, if you decide to play it and you turn to them, don't don't <laughs> just say thank you for the games. Don't say like, oh, what a wild match. <laughs> or, or, or like, I remember games. how how salty people get uh, playing against Burn at like LGSs, right? Because they like yeah. sit down. They're like, I'm gonna play some Magic today. It's you know after work. I'm trying trying to unwind, and then they get burnt out in like three turns. Super salty. Yep. Now, how about if you just add thirty power to the board and turn two? right so like I, I don't know like if no one's gonna bring hogak because you know they don't want to be the mean one then you don't need ley lines right it's fine <laughs> but then you're gonna have some people that want to be the, they're gonna embrace the villain role <laughs> oh yeah they're gonna thrive off of the fact that i mean <laughs> that everyone hates their deck there there are a few people at you know like my lgs that do play it <laughs> and <laughs> they definitely embrace like like willingly accept the villain role yeah, like Tron players. Tron <laughs> yeah. players are like that. Oh, there's so much. There's so over. much Tron. There's so much Tron. If there's anything I'm main decking, like <laughs> just, I don't know, Alpine Moon. <laughs> yeah, bl- Blood Moon, Alpine Moon, <laughs> Sowing Salts, <laughs> F- Fulminator Mage. That's what I would main deck because I am tired of losing in those decks. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, another question for you. We've been talking about the top tier decks. Was there any spicy under the radar decks that kind of stuck out to you? Yes, there was a lot of Hogak. Yes, we had a lot of really tuned tier decks that made up the top eight, but below the radar, is there anything that you're like, oh, that was really cool, even if it wasn't necessarily super successful? As for control. <laughs> I, th- I, don't I, that, I don't know if that counts. I thought that was pretty cool. It's under the radar, you know, no one, no one was ready for that. Everyone's like blue white. No, 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 no. But check this out. Esper. <laughs> I like Jacob Wilson's Mardu Shadow list. I thought that was pretty sweet. Using Ranger Captain of Eos to grab Death Shadow and uh, Unearths. And uh, he pulled out some pretty crazy victories. So, you know, a one mana double striking 12 12 or whatever can beat out a Hogak, I guess, sometimes, right? So, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, I, like. If we're not counting Esper Control, I would say the people that brought goblins. <laughs> yep, there's a couple of goblins players, and they did all right, I think. One was like 5-5, five and five and one was 6-4, and four, I think. So, not insane records, but good enough records. Yeah. It seems like I, a I pretty good pretty deck. Cool. What is it What is it bad against? Every time I play against goblins, I'm like, wow, this deck is like so BS. It's like so resilient and has so many answers, but... It probably crushes Jund. Like, it just draws yeah. so many cards. It doesn't care about all your removal spells Sweet and one for <laughs> Liliana's. Yeah. They can tutor anything, right? Like, that's that's the, the big problem. But, Although, but like, is I it think, too slow? Like, does Hogak just go over the top of it? I think oh, the games yeah. are just like, turn one, like, Goblet Guide, and they're like, oh, okay, Hogak, Venge Vines. You're like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Do this is goblins block? <laughs> nice Kirk Prospector. <laughs> Here's my 8-8 Trample. <laughs> like, I was going to say, like, I feel like with goblins, every time I've played it, my ringleaders only get me one goblin. <laughs> like, I've oh, ne- yeah. I'm like, Is it where, because where you're where playing it in Esper Control? Yo, maybe that's why. <laughs> you're like, just got control with four ringleaders. It's fine. <laughs> I found it. I broke the meta. We add a clock. We upgrade from a 2-1 to a 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to fix it's- modern for you guys. We need a one-mana changeling. When it enters the battlefield, exile a graveyard with flash. <laughs> yeah. 
That, that would be decent. They would tower up <laughs> humans, goblins, merfolk. It would bring some tribal back into the format. There's no tribal in the format currently, which is weird. But it, then it's also a zombie for the Hogak deck to <laughs> replace Gravecrawlers and Hogaks. Changeling minus zombie. It is... <laughs> <laughs> Pseudo changeling. All right. <laughs> I mean, e- even I, with that, what if you're on the draw though? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> it has flash. Remember? Okay, Phyrexian oh, mana. How about that? Oh, okay. We'll, we'll okay, it with Phyrexian, no, okay. Phyrexian. We'll bring mana. back free spells. <laughs> Leyline, Leyline of the Goblin <laughs> changeling. <laughs> we just power creep things. <laughs> I think as far. As far as decks that were actually successful, the devoted Neoform deck was pretty sweet. It was like just a a fairly typical devoted Druid Vizier Remedies combo deck, but then it's playing Neoform because it's fine for finding combo pieces, but then they're sideboarding into Alice Horse Rider, Grizzlebrand, and like the, the Neo brand combo out of the sideboard, which I thought that was pretty innovative. And then there were a couple of really sweet decks that they weren't good, I don't think. But, uh, definitely sweet that people showed up with them. There was like an unexpected results scape shift deck that was pretty cool. And someone brought a quest for the whole holy relic deck. I saw looking that. to play like glint hawks and pick up ornithopters and trigger quests for the holy relic to get Argentum armor. So, <laughs> so there were some, there were some spicy decks that I assume just got absolutely stomped by Hogak, but, uh, they're definitely cool. And maybe with like some tuning or something, they, they could actually get there once the metagame shifts uh, in a month or so after we have another BNR announcement so <laughs> imagine trying to play glint hawks in argentum armor in a hogak it's, it's, <laughs> it's it's really good at popper <laughs> <sighs> so any other any other pro tour stuff at all before we move on to other topics slash fish mail what'd you think of modern horizons limited that was the first time we saw it on camera right so I slept through the drafting part. <laughs> oh, I forgot and about caught that. The, the last couple couple of rounds of gameplay. It seems sweet, although the drafting is the best part. So I was a little sad that I didn't get to actually see the drafting, but not so sad that I would wake up at three a.m. This was the first time I watched it, a limited format I never played. So I haven't played a single game of Modern Horizons Limited. So I understood absolutely nothing. And uh, <laughs> I didn't really understand what was going on. And they're like, okay, some of these cards have ninjutsu and stuff is happening. But they didn't show the cards in their side panel thing. So what they did differently this time was they added player cams. Uh, and then, I don't know why, but then that means their hands, they only they kind of flip-flopped it with cards and hands in their display panel. So you didn't get to see all the cards all the time. Uh, but it was... I don't know. It was kind of boring watching Modern Horizons Limited. I don't know. I, I just feel that way oh, about Limited. Good. That's my Not thing. a fan of Limited in general? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, like playing it, that's different. For like but watching, watching it, it, yeah. You know? Uh, I've always kind of thought that I personally, I would enjoy Mythic Championships more without the Limited Rounds. If they were just all constructed or like split constructed. Like so we like saw the previous Mythic Championship. Anniversary or something, but... Yeah. What was that? Like the previous one, the arena one, there was no limited, right? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that that is true. There was that's because could you imagine an arena mythic championship with limited where they have to like draft against the bots and everyone has five frostlings? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so so the other thing is uh what did you think about 
like where we're at with organized play coming out of this. I don't know who you guys follow on Twitter, but there was a lot of pros that I've been following for a long time talking about how this was their last pro tour or the last pro tour that they knew about, like Paul Reedsel, Christian Calcano, apparently with the end of pro points and no real replacement being announced, uh, we might not be seeing the same faces that we've kind of come to know and love. So what do you think about that? Like where, where are the pro tours or mythic championships going in the future? There's nothing scheduled in paper after the fall set release pro tour. People don't really know how to qualify. Are, are we just going to have a whole new generation of players? Are we going to even have paper pro tours after throw to Veldrain? Oh, that's, that's kind of the question, right? I mean, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think, I think there is something It something's going to happen. I have to hope that I guess something is happening and it's just, it's not announced yet. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure why there's no announcement. Because organized play is not something that you just whip up in five minutes and throw out there. Like people need to plan like months in advance, right? Like if you if you need to travel to Pro Tours or Grand Prix or something, like you need to plan it out and you need to know what you're playing for and you know, if you wanna grind away at being a pro, like there's some important life decisions in there. So it's weird that they haven't announced the replacement system. So no one knows what's going on. So yeah, I think they're all being truthful. Like they don't know if they're qualified to do whatever they need to next year. So that's it. They just sit there and twiddle their thumbs and wait until Watsi says something, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I can you do, right? But I think so far MPL has been a failure, right? Like the MPL players themselves. So they get the little icon on their, on their name, but the, the weekly streams haven't been taken off really. Uh, and, it's kind of split the pro community between the people that are in and then the people that are not. And it's caused all this confusion with the new system. So you're losing players and player interest, but MPL hasn't really taken up that slack either. So it's, it's kind of like the worst of both worlds currently. So I hope Watsi like does something about it soon, right? Cause if they wait too long, people will quit for good, right? They'll go play, I don't know, Hearthstone or something, right? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think think that's my concern is this it's i thought we'd have something announced honestly months ago at this point with all the changes that were announced of like things ending i figured that we would rather quickly like have a rollout of something else and now we're getting through like more than halfway through 2019 and and we just don't even know at this point so i guess that would be my feelings too is regardless of what wizard's plan is or what they're gonna do i really hope they say something soon because we are getting to the point where there's a risk that People that have been playing the game competitively for 10, 20 years are just gonna, they're gonna move on just because of the uncertainty. So hopefully we get an announcement in the near future. Kind of sad. Like the Pro Tour is not gonna be the same without like Calcanos and Rietzels. And those are people that I've been following for a long time. Sam Black is another one who's kind of like in the same boat. Those are some of my like favorite people to follow and deck builders. Like it's, it's pretty jarring to see those people that, you've been interacting with and following for so long be like I-, I don't know if i have a place in magic anymore <laughs> yeah what do you think about coverage this weekend like the number of pro players we were seeing was dramatically less than usual and their presence was was kind of lacking so you you kind of got to see the local favorites and up-and-coming players mostly all weekend like did that change your enjoyment of the of the event at all i mean i mean 
like we had Johnny Finkel trying to make a run for it. We had Waffle trying to get get in there, but it's all I like everyone else. Like you know, where was LSV? Where was Paul? Like most most of the big names we're accustomed to seeing, they, they just weren't present this weekend. Like I know Reed Duke, it's because he for for you know he went to the Hogak train instead of playing Jund. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if it was an intentional thing or just like how the standings happened to shake out. Like, I were those people featured like the first rounds of limited and stuff that I missed while I was sleeping. Like, I, I wonder not if it was like, oh, we're not going to focus on them, or if they just kind of scrubbed the, out. The narrative less, on so. day one was they were like scrubbing out. <laughs> like that. That's what the desk was saying. Like, uh, most of the powerhouse teams were scrubbing out. So I don't think it was so a it, conscious choice to just exclude them. I mean, I, I still enjoyed it, and I figured it was just, like, those people were having a bad weekend, uh, but it was kind of a a strange top eight. I guess Martin Mueller is pretty well-known pro player. Otherwise, I mean, I guess Tolaroff is known for doing the content, like Arena Boys, but there wasn't really, like, the Hall of Famers, and we've had some really stacked top eight recently, and this was definitely not one of them. This was a lot more of a, a no-name top eight, I think. Yeah. yeah. Bingo, I think, bingo, we, we never got the MPL versus MPL matchup. What did you guys think of bingo all weekend? It, it was, was almost great. it was it was almost somehow not going to happen until Bob flipped to Liliana <laughs> like late it, that that was like really hard because there weren't a lot of Bobs at the tournament. Everyone's playing run and six instead of Bob, so that was a really clutch last minute save by Bob. Cost three life to uh, <laughs> to the Jun player there. <laughs> Did it matter? <laughs> I think it. I think it was cool. Although I have to say, I was a little disappointed that. You got a pack as your reward. I, I think with events like this, I think it would be way cooler if, like, you do this bingo thing, you follow along, you're watching the pro tour, and maybe you get some, like, cool sleeve that is something to do with the Mythic Championship, like Barcelona's on the sleeve, or I, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, something specific to the event. So I think I was, like, I think it was cool that they did it, but I, I wish it was something more specific to the event as the reward, rather than just like, oh, here's another M20 pack. It was the worst reward ever. Not only was it just the pack, right? It was, like, normal <laughs> stuff. It was only one pack. Which is like basically nothing. The code expired like hours. Like I don't know when it expired exactly, but twenty four hours the after the event, it was already done with. Which is like incredibly yeah, stingy quick. given the timing of the event, right? And like for 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 being such a small reward, one pack. Like I don't know why they don't just have that code be up like forever. Like it's weird. Yeah, I could see it being like that if it was like a cool exclusive sleeve, and your goal was to like reward people who actually watch the event, having it go up for a short time. But if it's just a pack, what if it's just a Hogak <laughs> sleeve <laughs> to, or like to commemorate Hogak winter? Here is a sleeve. If the watch. <laughs> If you watch the Pro Tour, you get an actual Hogak, and you can play it in standard. But if you didn't watch the Pro Tour, you can't. <laughs> oh, what would that look like? <laughs> uh, anyway, we're, we're kind of running long. We should probably move on to, uh, to some fish mail here in a second. So, Richard, take it away. All right. If you have questions, send them to at MTGWolfish with the hashtag MGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. From Duck Oak. A serious concern is cars like Arcane Signet will be EDH staples akin to Soul Ring. Watsy knows this. Having these cards exclusively in Brawl pre-cons feels disingenuous, scummy way to assure sales of an otherwise undesirable product. So, my concern isn't so much the financial aspect. 
I feel like if it's if the signet's that good, and it is, that they'll just put it in like commander decks and they'll reprint it a bunch of times. So that part doesn't really bother me as much. But I do have to say, as someone who builds commander decks, I do kind of unlike uh dislike when they print a card that's so good, it's just always the right choice for your deck. Like when you start building a deck, if it's not a green deck, that's always the first two mana mana rock you put in your deck. It's just like the right choice. And I feel like that takes away from part of what Commander is about, which is, like, expressing your personality, trying these different cards. So I don't care about it being in a Brawl deck. I do feel like cards like that are against what the spirit of Commander is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i actually just kind of... I, I don't know. It, it, I'm excited to see it for, like, a format like Brawl, but much like Seth said, it does, it does take away from deck building. I mean, I think it's smart, right? Like... So you know commanders, commander players will want this card. And you're trying to get commander players to play your new brawl format. So you stick it in the pre-con. So to get your card, you got to buy the pre-con. And then you have a brawl deck. So you might as well try some brawl. So I don't know. Synergy, right? <laughs> like, what, what do you want them to do? Right? Just give them out for free? Like They're going to put it somewhere. And if they want brawl players to grow, right? Like they, they, don't, they didn't make this format and this product so that no one plays it, right? So... And- I mean, I think the Brawl decks are kind of a sneaky way to print two Commander products in a year. Because <laughs> Wizards has to know that Brawl is a, an exceedingly popular format. Yeah. So I think that they have to be expecting Commander players to want these decks, too. So I, I think it does make a lot of sense from that perspective. Yeah, I expect there to be more cards in these Brawl precons that you want for your Commander decks, aside from Arcane Signet. I think I just dislike cards that refer to its format by name. <laughs> Like, like, it's a little bit too easy. Like, oh, if in your command zone, you don't have cards that say, oh, if you're playing this in Legacy, it does something cool. Like, isn't that kind of like cheaty design? Like, oh, if you play this card in Modern, you draw three cards instead of one card. Like, doesn't that seem a little cheesy and weird, or am I off base on I don't know. But I think command zone interaction is pretty... Like, if you take all the commander cards and remove the cards that deal with things in the command zone, like, isn't that a little weak? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's. I just it, don't it's, like it. I think it's better that. Remember, like, if your life total is more than twenty, something happens, and then they had to change it to <laughs> if you have more than X above your starting life total. Like, I think they have to account for these things. Otherwise, weird stuff will happen. Yeah, but couldn't they have just printed like a a two mana mana rock that tapped for a man of any color? Like when that just then you would affect good? standard. Do you want a two mana mana rock in standard? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I anything. would, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah. probably, probably not. <laughs> All right, next question. Oh, crap. Now what? <laughs> that's that's the person. <laughs> would you enjoy using an ad- addendum for creatures mechanic? Either flash with main phase upside or flash with downside, except during your main phase. Yeah, that sounds cool. Wait, what? Addendum is like an instant, but if you cast it during your main phase, you get a bonus. You get an extra benefit, yeah. So then we want to put it on a flash creature, and then it would do something extra on your turn. Yeah. So maybe like, yeah, maybe like a flash creature, but if you cast it during your main phase, you draw a card when it enters the battlefield or something. Yeah. Just as a easy example, I think that would be a fine mechanic. Uh, creatures already do a lot of things. (laughs) I don't think it. Oh, that's scary. I don't okay, know. Well, if you dredge have, during your main phase. You're going to have a Teferi phase. anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess as long as I have a Teferi, it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> cool. Captain Wow 26 
Hey guys, I was considering buying into the Hogak deck, but I'm worried it will simply get banned in the future announcements. What is the best course of action into buying decks that may get banned? Don't do it. <laughs> My friend bought in a Splinter Twin the weekend right before it got banned. <laughs> I mean, so if you bought Birthing Pod, you could play Collected Company afterwards, right? Like, if you buy Hogak, what happens? You don't really you have dredge. a dredge deck. You have a Vengevine deck now, which... Yeah, you play... You, oh, no, but it lost Bridge from below, too, so... <laughs> yeah, so I think it it probably is going to get banned. The only good news is, if you want to buy it, most of the cost of the deck is tied up in cards that aren't really going to lose value. Like, the Fetchlands, the Mana Base, uh, Thought Seizes, Assassin's Trophies, like, the cards that could lose value, Vengevine, Hogak... I guess like Gravecrawler and Bloodgast, even though they do see play in, especially Bloodgast in some other decks as well. So I think like it's less of a risk than maybe it seems at first glance. But if you buy the deck, there is a decent chance like your Venge Vines will be worth less after Hogak gets banned or whatever. You're basically a thousand dollars into Jund if you buy Hogak. <laughs> so you just have yep. another like seven hundred dollars to go to build Jund because you <laughs> yeah, get the yeah. Jund mana base. And you have thought seasons and assassins trophies and things like that. So yeah, basically yeah. jund. Or you can add in the white and play like Mardu Shadow or something like that. Just drop the you know drop the green. <laughs> but Verdant Catacombs is a significant cost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are the lands so expensive, man? It so I forgot me. about the mana base. <laughs> like we just got a reprinting recently too, right? Uh, yeah, it was Modern no, Masters yeah, 2017, so it's it's, it's been, been a few a years. We we need more Fetchland reprints. I Wait, think, how much is Scalding Tarn? Are, are we over? What are we at for Scalding Tarn? I know it's over a hundred. Is but it? Oh, is it the most the expensive? What's the most expensive fetch? Does anyone even play blue anymore? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I guess it's like almost exactly a hundred. Yeah. So it is the most expensive fetch. Oh. It was slightly higher, like one oh six, but it settled at basically a hundred dollars. That's interesting. I, I would have expected green black to be the most expensive one. Yeah, I think it's second. Yeah, because back back in the day, it was like Splinter Twin and all those decks made Scalding Tarn so expensive. But now everyone plays green black. I wonder if it's legacy. I wonder if that actually could be part of it because I think the blue fetches are by far the most important there. Yeah, it's always the blue lands. Anything related to blue that costs more. Yep. Well, you just just need to get a blue red to fairy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, Alan PB, did I miss something? Why are the YouTube video schedule? Why does the video YouTube schedule seem crazy? I used to get my videos midnight. Now, against the odds, suddenly appears in a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, so yes, we've been trying out a a new, hopefully better schedule for. The YouTube, which involves posting most of the main gameplay series in the afternoon rather than the middle of the night. Uh, give us your feedback on it, basically. Uh, I know it's an adjustment, and I think that it solves some problems, hopefully, where some people actually disliked the fact that the videos were going up when they were supposed to be sleeping. So that was kind of the idea, was to get it at a more convenient time for people. But uh, yeah, if you have feedback on the new schedule, definitely let me know. All right, last question. 11 Vicious, given the state of modern, do you think Wizards will ban something out of Hogak? We answered that. Or potentially unban something to help police the format. We didn't talk about unbannings. Is there something we can unban? Is Stoneforge Mystic going to solve things? 
we we can unban things for sure, but I don't think any of them will uh, solve the problem. <laughs> twin so is like laughable. Twin, I could see an argument for Twin, although I'm not even convinced that Twin would do it at this point. Like Modern is a much different place, and the combo decks are much faster and more consistent than when we had Splinter Twin running around. I'm not sure that Splinter Twin would be able to police the format at this point. Maybe it would. You can't. You, there's not, you can't, there's is, not enough vapor snags to, <laughs> to deal with Hokak and like two Vengevine coming at you yeah yeah it's just so fast and i think i think stoneforge does nothing stoneforge is almost laughable <laughs> in modern at this point like maybe it would see a bit of play but i think i don't even know if it'd be a staple what as the control player crib would that be something you'd be like all of my decks are starting with four stoneforge to get batter skull or like what, what do you think coming from that perspective i would say i would try it and then immediately realize this is not that good. <laughs> like, cause I'm in modern when you have, you need to have like multiple, like, as we had mentioned earlier, a variety of answers. I'm now dedicating four slots to a two drop that is a one, two and a few swords and a batter skull. Okay. That doesn't if, actually do much. Crim Stoneforge Mystic plus GTA. Still bad. Uh, Something tells me I, still bad. <laughs> It's better, obviously, right? Like, I won't say no to a GTA, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's still not gonna. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it'll help. Like, cool, oh, very, what a very world cool GTA. Where GTA <laughs> is like bad. It, it's not. It's not terrible, but it doesn't really help. It either. doesn't help it's like, against cool. Hogak. And then on top of that, like, I guess if our equipments were really a problem, you watched them play shenanigans, and they could just always blow up your artifact. Yeah, I mean, I think they should just unban Stoneforge. It's not gonna do anything. And we, yeah, I don't, like, compare back then, modern, to, to now, like, there's Coligan's Command, there's all kinds of ways to deal with artifacts that people could play, so I don't think it'd even be that bad. I think the yeah. only the only concern would be, like, future cards, like, maybe there's something down the pipeline that would just make Stoneforge absurdly broken, but it would have to be, like, Omega Batter Skull. Yeah. And they haven't printed a good equipment since New Phyrexia, <laughs> like, even a standard good equipment, so it seems like the odds of suddenly featuring a equipment better than what we have are pretty low at this point. Yeah, and plus we have Fatal Push and stuff to kill the Stoneforge itself. Like, I don't... Or you just Hogak and kill the Stoneforge player. Yeah. <laughs> As they tutor, tutor up their Batter Skull, you attack with an 8-8 and a bunch of, ben- of Vengevines, and you're like, hey, yeah, nice Batter Skull. <laughs> the Hogak player will figure some way to work Batter Skull into their deck. Give it, like, a 12-12 <laughs> lifelinking Stoneforge <laughs> in the Dredge deck. There we go. <laughs> I would like to tutor up Colossus Hammer, though. That would be sweet. <laughs> all right, so that's all the time we have for fish mail. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, you can send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I think that that brings us to the end of episode 235 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Krim Richard, thanks for hanging out. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. And we will be back next week with Commander 2019 spoilers and whatever else happens in the world of magic. So, until then, this is the crew signing out. Bye.